Welcome back to the Not Rich Yet podcast, where we have discussions on all things money, entrepreneurship, and leadership to help you uncover opportunities to build wealth in ways that are meaningful to you. I'm your host and your financially savvy older sister, Jasmine Sucknan. This past week has been very financially active, to say the least. As you might have heard in the news since last Friday, Silicon Valley Bank, the 16th largest bank in the country, collapsed. Routers, among other publications, has called it the largest bank failure since the 2008 financial crisis. So it's pretty big and it sounds daunting. And there have been lots of questions around how this happened and what it means for our money as everyday people. So while I wasn't planning on doing two solo shows in a single month, I really wanted to take this opportunity to do my own research and just quickly break down what you need to know. So what happened and how did it all go down? The first thing you have to know about Silicon Valley Bank is that it's primarily a commercial institution, not a consumer bank. So its main account holders were tech companies, startups, venture capital firms, and other businesses. Its services were actually used by almost half of all venture-backed tech and life science companies, according to a New York Times article. Uh, And this was where companies might deposit capital deployed by VC firms, runway for expenses, and more. So it might also help for you to know just a little bit about venture capital and the way banks work. So a venture capital firm is an organization that provides financial support, usually in the form of a lump sum of money, to private startups. So once a firm invests in a startup, the startup becomes part of the firm's portfolio and is referred to internally as a portfolio company. So venture capital is a very fascinating industry, and I've been learning a lot about it over the past several months, and I'm always in awe of its capabilities and the leadership of some of the key managers in the space. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're an entrepreneur, you need to know about venture capital as a way to get funding for your startup when you're ready for it. Bootstrapping is where you basically take your own money to further your startup's growth, but venture capital is one avenue where you use someone else's money, aka a VC firm's money, to further your startup's growth. So that money might be used to create marketing campaigns, hire on new staff and pay them, or float the costs of new tech developments, and way more. So since the startup likely won't burn through all that cash in one sitting, it may stash that capital in a bank that's built to do business with, you guessed it, businesses. For many startups, SVB was their bank of choice. Now when it comes to banking, it's important to keep in mind that banks by themselves are businesses. When you deposit money into your bank account, Your bank pools your deposits with other clients' deposits and lends it to others. Those quote-unquote others who get to borrow your money could be other customers just like you, or they could even be small businesses. The money may be borrowed in the form of a loan, which banks will charge interest on, and by charging that interest, banks 
basically create more money every time they lend money. So banks also invest the money they have in some safe securities like bonds. So a bond is a type of asset that's issued by the government. And when you invest or buy a bond, it's like you're giving the government a loan with the promise that the government will pay you back the money you lend plus interest. One very important thing to note about bonds is that during periods of high inflation, bond prices are lower. During periods of low inflation, bond prices increase. To avoid just overcomplicating things, that's where we're going to leave it for now. So banks typically buy bonds to create uh, easy cash flow so they can keep lending more money. However, banks need to keep a minimum of 10% of deposit balances on hand at all times. And this is to make sure that customer withdrawals can easily be cleared without a hitch. This system is actually what they call uh, fractional reserves. You know, I think it's very important for people to keep this in mind, but banking transactions are happening constantly. A single bank may process thousands of transactions per second. And that's a lot of people taking out loans, withdrawing money from their accounts, and performing performing other transactions that could cause a bank's cash reserve to dwindle really quickly. So that easy money that banks earn from bond interest can really come in handy for helping banks meet their fractional reserve requirement. Okay, so that was just a little bit of a quick detour to talk a bit about VC and the way banks typically work, but back to SVB and what's going on. So one CNN article described SVB's collapse as having stemmed from bond purchases it made back when COVID was more wildly rampant and back when interest rates were so close to zero. So keep in mind that earlier we mentioned how inflation rates and bond prices have an inverse relationship. So when inflation rates are low, bond prices are high. But what we're experiencing right now in 2023 is the exact opposite. We now have high inflation, thanks to the Federal Reserve boosting rates aggressively, and lower bond prices. So this means the value of the bonds in SVB's portfolio was being eroded away. The CNN article also cites that because of higher interest rates, it's become more expensive to borrow debt. And startups were not immune to that higher cost of financing their business growth through debt. The article goes on to mention that startups were withdrawing their money to pay off their debt faster. So remember how we said that there are thousands of these kinds of transactions happening every second at any given bank on any given day? And we also said that banks keep a small percentage of cash on hand to meet reserve requirements and fulfill withdrawals. So this is where it all comes together. SVB quickly sold billions of dollars worth of bonds last week, like $21 billion worth. 
because bond prices had fallen, the bank sold at a loss. And many institutional customers panicked and began withdrawing their money from SVB. A TechCrunch article I found actually noted that some VC firms advised their portfolio companies to move some of their money out of SVB. So at this point, withdrawals from SVB are increasing like wildfire. This created what's called a bank run. So a bank run is when a huge amount of customers all withdraw their money from a bank all at the same time because they're afraid the bank will collapse. And there was actually another major bank run back in 1929 after the stock market crashed. And bank runs are often a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that people are afraid of the worst possible outcomes, so they react by withdrawing their money, knowing that that course of action will actually cause the worst possible outcome to occur anyways. And that's basically what happened here. SVB's public stock tanked so much that trading on the stock came to a halt, Regulators in California officially shut the bank down and the FDIC assumed control of doling out deposits. So over the weekend, there were some fears around how much money SVB clients will have lost since the bank's collapse. Most bank accounts in the U.S., both commercial and consumer accounts, ensure customer deposits up to a certain amount. For the most part, the industry standard is that our deposits are FDIC insured up to $250,000, and this was basically the same for clients of SVB. So us, as everyday people working our 9-to-5 jobs, likely don't keep $250,000 in cash in a bank account. But startups that raise 500K, a million dollars, five million dollars, and so on from venture capital firms do. And they're way more exposed to the risk of losing that money if their bank fails. So there was a lot of stress over the weekend around how startups will be able to float their business expenses if they've just lost a significant portion of their cash. And as of the timing of this recording, though, the FDAC has announced that it'll make sure all deposits are paid back in full, which just very narrowly saves startups and tech companies from a really, really devastating loss. So that's the story of how SVB failed, and I know it's a lot to take in. But it begs the question of how can systems be improved as a result of this collapse? I'm not an expert, and these are just my personal opinions, but I think it all calls into question whether FDAC insure limits should be increased, especially for businesses. A major reason for The weekend panic was because tens of thousands of startup leaders and their employees thought the company just lost almost all of its money and wouldn't be able to make payroll. That's because the current FDIC insure limit for banks is just 
$250,000 per person, per bank, per deposit category. And $250,000 is a drop in the bucket compared to the $5 million or $10 million in cash a startup might have collected as an investment from a VC firm and deposited into the bank. So startups require more protection for their money. So it makes sense for the insurance limit to be higher for commercial bank accounts compared to consumer bank accounts. So increasing the FDIC insure limit is one possible long-term outcome or idea. Another is increasing the fractional reserve requirement for banks, but there's a huge downside to this, and I think it could end up doing more harm than good. Increasing the reserve limit makes it more expensive for banks to adhere to that limit. And if it's more expensive for banks to maintain that homeostasis level, it means they'll try to offset that cost in some other way. And there's a really good chance that will mean charging higher interest rates when customers borrow money. This just makes it even more expensive to borrow from banks. And many everyday people just cannot afford that. So increasing the fractional reserve requirement is probably out of the question. This is a really sticky situation and it can be scary for a lot of people. And I was actually talking to my parents the night it all went down and my mom was like, should I just pull all of my money out of my bank? So all this has even non-startup and non-VC people spooked and asking themselves, what can we as everyday people do to protect our money? So first off, you want to make sure the bank you're depositing your money into is FDIC insured. This means you'll be reimbursed in the event that something goes down and your bank fails for some reason. It could also give you peace of mind to diversify where you deposit your cash. Remember that your money is FDIC insured up to $250,000 per person, per bank, per deposit category. So let's say that you listen to this podcast and become rich AF and have $500,000 in cash to deposit. Depositing it, depositing it all into just one bank will leave $250K at risk because of the insure limit. So maybe you keep 250K in bank A and keep the other 250K in bank B. That way, you can make sure all of your cash cash is insured, and it might give you some more confidence knowing that you have immediate access to cash in another account in the unlikely event that one of your banks collapses. But overall, the main thing is to make sure you're keeping your money in a bank that's FDIC insured. So that's it for today's episode. Um, I did a lot of talking. And now I need to go drink some water. I was like coughing briefly during the episode, like kind of off mic. If you've made it this far, I want to take the time to thank you for tuning in to today's episode. As a valuable listener, you definitely inspire and encourage me to keep creating high quality content that helps you reach your goals. 
which is why the best way to show me that you're getting a lot out of this episode and the show is to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. By doing so, you'll also help other people find this podcast so we can all grow together. The more, the merrier. Please also don't forget to follow along on social media. We are at NotRichYetPod pretty much everywhere. Plus, if you're following us on Instagram, you get to participate in fun, money, and business polls in our Instagram stories daily. I do all the researching, interviewing, recording, and hosting, but this podcast couldn't happen without the help of our Not Rich Yet team. This show is produced by Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and edited by Will Tarashuk, the founder of Willie T Productions and the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. I'm your host, Jasmine Suknanen, and I'll catch you in the next episode.